We've entitled this series of sermons, Getting to Know Jesus, Believe and Live. That is the very reason why John is writing his gospel to his hearers, to his readers. He wants them to understand who Jesus Christ is, and as a result of understanding who Jesus Christ is, that they would believe on Him, that they would trust Him for salvation, and as a result of that, that they would experience life to the fullest. That is God's desire for all of us as followers of Jesus Christ, that we would experience life abundantly, that we would experience life to the fullest. There is nothing like walking in relationship with Jesus Christ. If you really want to know what life is all about, give your heart and your life to Jesus Christ, and I will assure you, you will come to understand what life is all about. Even Jesus, our Lord and Savior, said that He came that He might give us abundant life. That is the desire of His heart. If you found yourself there in chapter 12 this morning, I want you to consider this question that I'm about to ask you. I want you to listen to it carefully and ponder it for a moment. This is the question I would have you consider today. Is it possible for an event to be both triumphant and tragic at the same time? One more time, listen to it carefully. Is it possible for an event to be both triumphant and tragic at the same time? Well, I would answer that question in this way. I believe that it is possible for an event to be both tragic and triumphant at the same time. Tuesday, June the 6th, 1944, is such an occasion. Many of you may recognize that date. That is what we refer to as D-Day. That is when the Allied troops stormed the beaches of Normandy. Most historians tell us it is that battle that changed the war. It was a triumphant victory for the Allied forces. But at the same time, I would tell you, it was horribly tragic. On that day, almost 20,000 men lost their lives on that beach. Triumphant, yet tragic. Or how about this? I'm going to test your knowledge a little. How many of you recognize this date? July the 1st through the 3rd, 1863. It was the battle that changed the Civil War. The Battle of Gettysburg. It was the first time that the Northern armies defeated the General Robert E. Lee in battle. It changed the tide of the war. It was a great triumph. And at the same time, It was a great tragedy. In terms of human life, it is the single most costly battle in the history of America. Estimates range between 46,000 
to 51,000 men lost their lives over that three-day period of time. Tragic? Yes. Triumphant? Yes. The event that we're going to look at this morning, I would say it was a triumphant event. And yet, at the same time, it was a tragic event. Many of you will recognize this story as Palm Sunday. Jesus Christ's triumphant entry into Jerusalem. I can remember as a boy growing up, going to Sunday school, and studying this story in Sunday school on Palm Sunday. It would go something like this. Right down here at First Baptist Church Lobe, my Sunday school teacher would share this story with us, and as it was years ago with Lifeway material, Sunday school board material at that time, there was always a picture that accompanied the story. She would share that story, and then she would hold up that picture for all of us to look at. Do you remember that? Do you remember those days? I can remember that very vividly. And more than not, when they would hold up that picture, this is what I would see. Jesus Christ sitting on a donkey with a smile on his face, with the children running out in front of him, playing in the street, and the adults laying palm limbs down in front of him. Am I the only one that remembers that? I see some smiles now. No, people are not raising their hands because they don't want to give away how old they are. That's what it is. You have to be back a number of years to remember that in Sunday school. But can I say this today? I would tell you that picture is the furthest thing from the truth. Indeed, it was a triumph for the people that came out to celebrate Jesus Christ's entry into Jerusalem. But I would tell you, it was anything but triumphant for Jesus Christ. This is one of the few events in the life of Jesus that is recorded by all of the gospel writers. Luke tells us this when he records this story for us, that before Jesus Christ rode into Jerusalem, he stopped at the top of the Mount of Olives and he looked down at Jerusalem and he wept. He wept over the city of Jerusalem. And the reason he wept is the vast majority of people on that day would fail to realize who he truly was. He weeps. This event takes place on the 10th day of the month of Nisan. Does that sound like a familiar date to you? It should ring a bell for you today because several months ago we looked at the story of the Passover lamb that is found in the book of Exodus. Do you remember what Moses 
under the direction of the Lord, told the children of Israel, each family was to select a lamb on the 10th day of Nisan. And then they were to watch it carefully. They were to examine it to make sure that it had no spot or blemish. And then on the 14th day of the same month, if the lamb was found to have no fault at all, they were to slaughter it and place the blood on the doorpost of their home. On the 10th day of Nisan, Jesus Christ rides in to Jerusalem on the back of a donkey colt, very clearly announcing Himself to the children of Israel as the Christ, the Anointed One, the One that they have long sought after. He is presenting Himself to the children of Israel as the Passover Lamb of God. For the next four days, He will be questioned, He will be watched, He will be examined by all of the religious leaders in Jerusalem and will be found without fault. And then outside on a hill at Calvary, He dies as the Passover Lamb for the sins of mankind. He is the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. Triumphant in the eyes of the people. Tragic. You better know. It is a triumphant yet tragic event. This morning I want you to follow along with me as we begin to read in verse 9 of chapter 12. I want you to listen to what John records for us here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. When the large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only account of Him, but also to see Lazarus, whom He had raised from the dead. So the chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of Him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus Christ. I was reading that this morning in my office, sitting in my chair, and I was thinking to myself, you know what, it just doesn't really pay to be raised from the dead, does it? I mean, think about this. It wasn't as though Lazarus had asked to be raised from the dead, had he? No. But to God's glory, Lazarus was raised from the dead. And by being raised from the dead by Jesus Christ, now people are seeking his life. They're seeking to put him to death. Do you want to know why the religious leaders are seeking to put Lazarus to death? Because the resurrection of Lazarus simply proves that Jesus Christ truly had power over death, hell, and the grave. Hallelujah. Amen. So they're wanting to do away with Lazarus. They're wanting to put him to death. Now listen to these words that follow that. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written. 
Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Did you hear the estimation of the Pharisees at this end of the passage? I mean, think about that for a moment. Is that statement really true? Has the entire world gone after Jesus Christ? That is not even any truth in that statement, right? No doubt the crowd had gone out to see who Jesus Christ was, but the whole entire world has gone after Jesus Christ? What a falsehood. This morning I want to just point out for you in the time that we have remaining two truths that we learn from Jesus's donkey ride into Jerusalem. Two truths that we learn that are very clear in this passage of Scripture. Two truths that I think many of us already know, but we just need to have confirmed once again in our life. Truth number one, Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy concerning Israel's Messiah. Let me say it one more time. Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy concerning Israel's Messiah. Now, you've all heard me make that statement before, haven't you? As a matter of fact, in the time that we've been walking through the Gospel of John, I have made that statement on more than one occasion. But I would say to you this morning, that statement shouldn't catch us by surprise. I mean, think about it for a moment. What was John's purpose for writing this book? He's writing the book so that those, his readers, would know who Jesus is and that they would believe upon Jesus Christ as their Savior. What better way to show that Jesus Christ is actually who He said He was than going back to the Old Testament and showing that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies concerning Israel's Messiah. We see that very clearly in this passage of Scripture. Listen to what John says here in verse 14. He says, And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it just as it is written. I would encourage you to underline that word written. And the reason I encourage you to underline that word, John is not referring to the New Testament when he makes that statement. The New Testament books had not even been written at this time. John is referring to the Old Testament prophecy that is spoken in verse 15. A prophecy that was spoken under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by Zechariah and recorded in his book in Zechariah the ninth chapter in the ninth verse that the king of Israel would enter into Jerusalem riding on the back of a donkey colt. Those were the exact words of the prophet. Now, if you're like me, when I read this statement here, 
that Jesus Christ rode in to Israel sitting on a donkey colt, I'm thinking to myself, what in the world is going on? I mean, why in the world would God have His Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, ride into Jerusalem on a donkey colt? If I were doing things, that's not how I would have chosen to do it. Would have you done it that way? You know what I'd have done? I'd have put Jesus Christ on the back of a big white horse, and we would have had a major parade, and I would have announced Him to all of the people that had come out on the streets that day, this is the conquering King. But Jesus, I mean, but God chooses not to do that. God chooses to tell Jesus to get on the back of a colt and ride in to Jerusalem on the back of a donkey colt. Why in the world would God tell Jesus Christ to do that? In the ancient world, when a general rode out to war, he rode on the back of a white steed. It presented him as the conquering king. However, after the general secured victory, he rode out to the losing army on a donkey to agree upon terms of peace. You see, on this day, when Jesus Christ rides into Jerusalem, on the back of a donkey, it is to offer people what they are most in need of. To offer them peace with God. Peace with God that could only be secured by the Lamb of God at Calvary. Now one day, According to John, the Revelator, in the book of Revelations, chapter 19, Jesus Christ will return. But on that day, He won't be seated on the back of a donkey. He'll come back in all of His glory, riding on the back of a white horse, announcing Himself to the world as a conquering king and judge. And I will tell you on that day, it will be a sad day for many people because on that day it will be too late to experience the peace of God that Jesus Christ offered on this day. On that day, the only thing that will be offered to people is the judgment for those who do not know Jesus Christ. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Today, Jesus Christ offers you peace with God. There's nothing that's very, nothing more clear in this passage of Scripture than that truth. Jesus Christ came to offer people peace with God. Don't you see that here in this text? Man, this is amazing, isn't it? Jesus Christ, God has Jesus, His Son, ride into Jerusalem, announce Himself to the children of Israel as the Messiah, the anointed one, the chosen one, the one that they have been waiting for, the one who would save those people from their sins. He is the Passover Lamb, and the vast majority of them failed to realize who He was. Triumphant, 
yet tragic. Do you see it? That's the reason why Jesus stops out on the Mount of Olives and weeps over the city of Jerusalem. Now here's the lesson I want you to take away from this first truth. Here it is. Scripture is more reliable than people's opinions about who Jesus Christ is. Everyone in this story had an opinion about who Jesus Christ was. If you would have surveyed the crowd, you would have got a number of different opinions about who Jesus Christ was. Some would have said he's a good teacher. Some would have said he's a miracle worker. Some would have said he was a prophet. Others would have said that he was something else. If you would have asked one of the Pharisees in the crowd that day, who was Jesus, do you know what they would have said? They would have said, he is a blasphemer. Everyone in this story has an opinion about who Jesus Christ is. Can I tell you this morning, everyone in our world today has an opinion about who Jesus Christ is. You can go to your place of work and you can ask people about what their opinion is about Jesus Christ. Who do you think he is? You can walk around your neighborhood and ask them what their opinion is about Jesus Christ. You can go to school and you can ask kids there about their opinion. Everyone has an opinion about who Jesus Christ is. But I want to tell you something very carefully this morning. And listen to me. Please hear what I'm about to say to you this morning. It is of great importance to you. Scripture, the Bible, the Word of God, is far more reliable concerning Jesus Christ than any person's estimation of who they think Jesus is. And that is what John is saying to these people in this story. When he records this for his readers, he wants them to be assured that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy concerning Israel's Messiah. Jesus is who he said he was. We can trust God's word that he is who he said he was. You can rest in it today. Number two. Number two. It is possible to be very religious and still miss out on who Jesus is. Let me say it again. It is possible to be very religious and still miss out on who Jesus is. I mean, think about this story. When I read this story to you earlier, didn't you see that here? I mean, listening to, listen to the opening verse of this story. It says, The next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. When I read this story, the first thing that I notice in this story, this story is filled full of religious people. Is that not true? I'm, think about the words of John. What does he say here in this opening verse? He says the people had gathered in Jerusalem on that day for what purpose? To celebrate the feast. They had come to the temple. They had come to observe the Passover. That's what was taking place. They were religious people. 
As a matter of fact, the Passover was one of the most religious holidays in all of Israel. It was one of the three pilgrimage feasts that all men were required to attend. But do you know what's most amazing to me in this story? It's where we find the people. Now you would think the people would be in the temple celebrating the Passover. Wouldn't you think that's... Well, I mean, that's what was required to go to the temple, offer sacrifices. But where do we find the people at? They're out in the city waiting for Jesus Christ. Let me say this this morning. Jesus Christ is far more attractive than any empty religious rituals. And the people understood that. Now, understand when I say that, their motive for being out there is not right. They had heard about Jesus. They had heard this great miracle that Jesus Christ had performed. Do you remember what John said in verse 9? That this crowd had heard and had seen the resurrection of Lazarus. This crowd is now in the city. They've come out to see Jesus Christ. They think possibly is Jesus Christ the one that we have been waiting for, the long-awaited Messiah? Is this the man who will deliver Israel out from under the hand of the oppression of the Roman government and restore us back to prominence? That's what they're thinking. He will be a political Messiah. Now listen, they completely missed who Jesus was. This same crowd, four days later, will be the ones shouting, crucify Him, crucify Him, crucify Him. They'll be the very ones that go stand out at Golgotha and ridicule and jeer Jesus Christ as He's dying on the cross for their sins. They completely missed who Jesus Christ was. They were religious, were they not? but they failed to understand who Christ is. And then, of course, there's the religious leaders. Now, think about this for a moment. If there is anyone in this story who should have recognized who Jesus was, it was the religious leaders. They were the ones who were steeped in Old Testament prophecy. They should have been the ones who are out in front of the parade going through the streets of Jerusalem and they should, be, they should have been announcing, this is the Christ, the anointed one, the one we have waited one, the one who will save Israel from their sins. But that's not what we find them doing. Instead, they are more caught up in their own man-made religion and the lust for power, and it blinded them to who Jesus Christ was. Don't you see that in this story? Very religious, and they missed out on who Jesus Christ was. I mean, think about it. Why does Jesus stop and weep over the city of Jerusalem. Now here's the lesson 
that I think we learn from this truth. Listen to me very carefully. Man-made religion will always blind you to the reality of who Jesus Christ is. It was true of the crowd, and it was true of the Pharisees. They were so caught up in their man-made religion that they missed their own Messiah, even though he was standing directly in front of them. Now, some of you this morning may be saying, well, wait just a minute, Pastor. I thought that Christianity was a religion. And I would say there's some truth in that. As the world classifies religion, surely Christianity is religion. But I would tell you, from a biblical standpoint, Christianity is much more than a religion. From a biblical standpoint, Christianity is a relationship with a living Savior. Jesus didn't die on a cross so that you and I could follow a set of rules. Jesus Christ didn't die on the cross for you and I to practice some empty religious rituals. He died on the cross that we might know Him as a personal Savior. That is the reason He died on the cross. Listen to the words of Jesus and you judge for yourself. John chapter 17, verse 3. These are the words of Jesus Christ as He defines Christianity. Now this is eternal life. Wouldn't you agree with me that all believers, Christians have eternal life? Would you agree with me? Now this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Did you hear what he said there? Now this is eternal life that you may follow a set of rules. This is eternal life that you may be able to go through some empty religious practices at the church house. Is that what he defined as eternal life? He defined as eternal life knowing God in Jesus Christ. The unique thing is this word know here. That word know speaks of knowing someone in a personal and intimate way. You see, that's true biblical Christianity. Do you see that? Let me ask you a question this morning as we close. Do you know Jesus Christ in that way? Do you know Him in a personal and intimate way? I will tell you what, knowing Jesus personally and intimately 
gives meaning to Sunday morning worship. Not knowing Jesus Christ in a personal and an intimate way is simply going through the motion. Simply going through the religious rituals that you've seen demonstrated before you all of your life. Just like the people in this story. Triumphant, yet tragic. When I look at the cross, that's what I see. Triumphant, and yet tragic. I will say this morning, there will be people who will leave here today unchanged. And as a result, it will be tragic. But I will tell you, if you come to Jesus Christ and you know him in an intimate and a personal way, it will be triumphant. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your love and the truth of your word and the way it speaks into our hearts and our lives. Father, what a beautiful story. Father, so much meaning here. Really can't do justice to it in the short amount of time that we have together. But Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for how you speak truth into our lives. Father God, my prayer is that as we enter into this time of invitation, that we would continue to just allow you to have your way in our lives. Father, if there's someone here today who doesn't know you, Lord, I pray today would be the day that they would look upon Jesus Christ for eternal life. We give you this time and pray that you'd be honored and glorified through it. In Jesus' name, amen.